The Guardian is delighted to announce the launch of our new Global Development Professionals Network. It's completely free, and it's the place for global development professionals to share, discuss, and promote new ideas about the sector. With weekly newsletters, a first look at jobs, and live Q&As with global development experts. As a listener to this podcast, we're offering you the chance to win an iPad just for signing up to the network today. To find out more, head to guardian.co.uk slash win the iPad. The Guardian. Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week, Laura Barton talks Barack Obama and coral reefs with Willie Mason. Singles Club mashes ASAP Rocky, Screamin' Khalees and Drowners. And I've been speaking to Danny Rampling about the 25th anniversary of legendary acid house club Shum. That's all in Music Weekly from The Guardian. Hello to Rebecca Nicholson. Hello. How you doing? I'm all right. What's the big news this week, people? What's been happening? I've just been watching the Beyonce trailer to her documentary that she's making about her life. Is this the mini one that's yeah. about 10 seconds long? And it's just her going, why am I so successful? Well, in the mirror. Apparently it's um, airing in good. HBO yeah. in February or something, right. I read. The well, she's day. directed it herself as well, which I really like. I mean, nobody else can direct a documentary about Beyonce. I bet they could. No. <laughs> she wouldn't let them. She wouldn't let them. No, 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 no. Lady in control. Um, does it look good? I mean, does it? It's it amazing. She's a goddess. But no, no I mean, that, no, I mean, it will be Beyonce <laughs> revealing what she wants to reveal about yeah. Beyonce. Um, yeah. But that's always worth watching, I think. I'd say so. Wonderful. There's a great tweet by Pop Justice the other day that says, Who will play Alexandra Burke? Which I thought was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get that. Well, because there's this iconic performance. Oh, of, oh of course, they duetted together, yeah, didn't they? Of exactly. course, sorry, sorry. And Alexandra was just losing it and shaking and crying and couldn't sing. It was brilliant. Well, while she was singing with Beyonce? Yeah. She started bawling. <laughs> really? Fantastic. Not bawling in the modern sense of bawling. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the sort of R&B sense. Not that sense. Bawling. In the old-fashioned sense. <laughs> <laughs> Either of those would have worked. Well, Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk coming to London. They've announced eight nights, is it? in a row in the Turbine Hall, Tate Modern, where they're going to play all their albums from Autobahn to uh, Tour de France soundtracks in order, and the tickets are available next week. I um, mean, they're really good live craft work as well, which makes it all the more. For four blokes who basically just stand there, there is something tremendously <laughs> exciting about seeing them. I would really like a ticket to see the audience seeing yeah, craft work. I can yep. imagine. Yeah. They, were sort of going quite, they were going quite mental last time I saw it, which is the Royal Festival Hall. And I took, it was, for a, a, it was really sweet actually, I was writing a piece at the time where I took this 15-year-old kid to loads of gigs by a kind of classic rock act that he'd never really heard of any of them. And he wrote about what he thought of them and stuff like that. And I took him to see Brian Wilson, he hated that. Um, and then I took him to see The Who, and he quite liked them. And then, and this was all in the space of like a week or two weeks. And I took him to see Kraftwerk, and he'd never heard of Kraftwerk. And he met um, a mate of mine, Andrew Harrison, who now it's Key magazine, on the way in. And he said, oh, what, what are Kraftwerk like? And uh, Andrew Harrison goes, oh, that's not a German folk music. <laughs> and he was, genuinely thought there were going to be guys with acoustic guitars coming on and, and, and singing folk music. And um, Kraftwerk came on, and he totally lost his shit. Really? He thought they were like the most amazing thing. He was, <laughs> he's really into Faithless, I remember. And um, he obviously never heard Kraftwerk and thought they were just the most incredible thing he'd ever seen ever. So, uh, so there you go. Go and see Kraftwerk if you can. Anything else in the news we need to be addressing here? What about Atoms for Peace? Atoms for Peace, Tom York's new project. Are we excited about Atoms for Peace? 
<laughs> Are we excited about Atoms for Peace? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. No, well, yeah, all right. <laughs> Who else is in it? Flea in it? Is anybody, who's the other people in I it? I don't know. Tom uh, York Flea. They're Some both of the, the worst. I don't like Flea or Tom York at all. I, I just find that. I've seen Flea doing that. No. I thought everyone liked Tom York. I find Tom York insufferable. What, in what way? Insufferable in what way? He's just so, like, oh, earnest. You know, I find I him really overly right. earnest. And just uh, kind of a lot of the... I saw Radiohead um, in the summer in July at this festival in Spain. And it was like, you know, one of those festivals that's sponsored by a bank. It's by one of the biggest banks in Spain. And he did this whole big thing. He was headlining and about, you know, anti-banks and this whole kind of thing. And it was just like, oh, Tom, shh. That's quite good. That's quite a good thing, though, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it good to be a bit, no, well, bit engaged? But why would you not just not play it if you're that bothered? Yeah, by... I mean, the music to the people, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw them uh, in uh, I think it was October at the O2, and they were amazing. Radio, I thought they were just just fantastic. Do you think they would have benefited from the addition of Flea on bass? Because <laughs> I think that that might be what we're getting. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the incidental music from Seinfeld. Um, I've seen Flea play with lots of different people. I've seen him play with Damon Auburn and I've seen him play with uh, Patti Smith. And I, I hate the Red Hot Chili Peppers or more than I hate almost any. It's just like they formed a band specifically to annoy me. And he is a really amazing musician. You take him out of that context. He's got a very, very good taste in music, which... You know, it boggles the mind as to why the Red Hot Chili Peppers sound the way they do. Because, you know, you seem to with great people and all this kind of thing. So, I, I, you know, I'm sure it'll be intriguing. Side project. Hmm. Oh, on that note, let's move on. <laughs> Willie Mason's third album, Carry On, is out this week. And he's been working with the producer Dan Carey, who normally works with bands like Hot Chip. He's also with MIA. So, has the singer once hailed as the new Bob Dylan taken a sudden detour into the nightclub? Laura Barton finds out. Um, I'm a bit nervous to do this uh, on air because I am aware of your own broadcasting expertise because didn't you present a radio <laughs> show back home? I tried. Was I it the tried. Fish and Farm Report? Yes, that's, that was the title, the Friday Fish and Farm Report with Tom Osmers, the late Tom Osmers. And uh, yep, every week we did the news for about two hours, mostly fishing and farming news, but basically we covered resources. Okay internationally and locally. And would you have any tips for us now? I would not take any tips from me. <laughs> I've found that actually I'm much better on this side of the microphone, so to speak. You can't give us a little bit of a shellfish report? Uh, I'm a long way from the shellfish <laughs> right now. I have been for a while, but I did go scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef with Mumford and & Sons. And I can tell you, um, the reefs uh, were looking a little bit sad, actually. Is that because Mumford & Sons were there? Or no, I don't mean that. <laughs> Actually, I wonder, you know, because like I hear that they're sort of sensitive to um, outside wildlife, you know. Yeah. The ecosystem is very fragile. We have may, may have disturbed the pH balance of the water. So if it all goes pear shape, we will blame you. Okay. Um, so you've got your third album out. The last time I spoke to you about these songs, you told me that it was a third part of a trilogy. Do you remember saying that? I do, and it's come back to haunt me in interview <laughs> after interview, but I've come up with some interesting ways to explain it. That wasn't a conscious decision, but the reason that I think about it that way is because, um, you know, the first album came out, and it was a big change in my life, uh, in the way that I, you know, day-to-day -day living, and um, I feel like it's taken me three albums to come around to a point where uh, I'm 
on top of the horse, so to speak, you know? So I think that's where that comes from, really. And also there are some, this, this album does have a lot of sort of philosophical grasping going on in it, uh, maybe more so than the other albums, which were a bit more based in the material world. Mm -hmm. And so really, I think that the album, especially with the title track, but there's a theme running through all of them that's a little bit hard to explain, but I think it does have to do with um, a slight shift, sort of the death of something and the beginning of something else. Beside my bed there is a lamp And in that lamp there is a lonely moth He's got one night, he's got one life And one thing on his mind and that's the fire He doesn't care from where it comes he only knows he's got to run Toward the brightest promise in his eyes Now he's circling to the ground um, That title track, it's um, called Carry On. And you've got that sort of feeling of uh, not only sort of personal sort of moving on throughout the album, but also some in terms of your nation, you are American, I should stress at this point, and thinking as well about the uh, Show Me The Way To Go Home track, which I know you wrote after reading Barack Obama's autobiography. Is that correct? That's true. I mean, it could have been anybody, really. Obviously, I read it because he was a candidate and I was very curious about him. What struck me about the book was his uh, eloquent writing about trying to reconcile all of these different elements of his identity. They make a big deal about it in the campaign. He's the ultimate American citizen, born of parents from different nations and raised in different countries. And that was the part about him that inspired me uh, to write a song about it and also made me feel like he was somebody that I could relate to. But there's also a little bit in the album which I think is about sort of the fever of that election year and then the inevitable slight crash afterwards mm. in terms of sort of political achievement or social achievement. What, how did that sort of manifest itself in your community? Because I know you were at home for quite a, a long stretch during that time, weren't you? Yeah, that was a very interesting time. Where I was living, um, there, was, uh, there was a lot of hope combined with a difficult situation and everybody was struggling, really. And uh, I think that a lot of people at least the way that I felt, was that I had to constantly face up to the worst-case scenario and think about, you know, what the, what the worst that was could, could happen because it felt like everything was falling apart a little bit. And, of course, it was frustrating that so many possibilities presented themselves and nothing seemed to be happening. I don't know. I guess what was going on in the political sphere was mirrored on a personal level at home, you know, relationships between people. Uh, there's a lot of s songs on the album, particularly Shadows in the Dark, which is about sort of knowing that you relate to somebody and knowing that things should be wonderful and yet not being able to, for some reason, something's holding you back. And that's a frustrating feeling, and that's kind of how it has felt for the last four or five years, is that things could be so great, yet 
there's there's something there's a chain around our necks just holding us back from the t-bone stake do you think that's particularly generational i know that a lot of your friends came home from university at the same time that you headed home and that must have been frustrating perhaps from the first generations to not get the jobs they thought they would get and not have the the life after college they might have expected yeah i think there was it was a lot of frustration and a lot of uncertainty because it was really hard to find uh, a path that that made sense I'm sure that's been true many times in the past, but I guess we were raised to believe that we could do whatever we wanted to do, that we should do something that we really believed in and that we shouldn't compromise. I think because of that, there's a sort of a guilt and a lot of complicated feelings that go along with just doing what you have to do and, and making some compromises. But I think that, that learning to cope with that uh, is a lot of what this album is about, and I think for a lot of people, it's it gives one a lot of strength somehow. I know you listen to a lot of um, uh, classic country when you were writing the title track. Would you say that country is sort of a um, a genre that fits our times in terms of coping with hard times and coping with hardship? Yeah, yeah. I think it's. Um, I think I see what you're saying. Yeah, no. Um, for me, country music resonates because. Uh, it has to do with the hard times and the good times, and uh, it's fun music to play with other people and have a good time. And also it speaks very directly. I think for somebody to say something clearly and stand by it and look you in the eye and say it, even if it's a very simple thing, is means a lot right now. Um, for those people familiar with your first two albums, some of this album musically might be a bit of a surprise because rhythmically it's quite different and I know you worked with uh, Dan Carey who's sort of well known for working with I think Kylie and Hot Chip and quite a different to what people might expect from you. Can you just explain about some of the rhythms that um, are on this album? Well how to sum it up I mean I guess the first two albums were driven by my brother's drumming and uh, he does a sort of a shuffle beat on my, with my stuff. He, he drums in different bands and does all kinds of styles, but it's always been a pretty consistent shuffle beat. On this album, um, Dan took over some of the rhythm duties, and that was part of why I was so excited to work with him, because I'd listened to um, some of the projects he'd done, like with The Kills and, um, and some of Lil Lily Allen's stuff, and I just loved his sense of rhythm. Uh, it reminded me of my brother, actually, but just in a different way. And so um, he contributed a lot. And some of the sounds on the album, some people notice them and some people don't, but it, there's actually uh, drum boxes on the recording. So some of it is like basically clockwork rather than a human. It's a mechanical heart. And you got a bit of dub, a bit of sort of reggae feel from there as Yeah, well. that did happen somehow. <laughs> um, we did have a portrait of King Tubby looking down at us over the mixing desk, Quite so that right. might have had something to do with it. If it's the end, it's not the only end. Let it begin, let it unfold again. Laura Barton there talking to Willie Mason. The new album Carry On is out now on fiction. I declare Singles Club open for business. Uh, we're going to start with Rebecca's track. Listeners, keep your smelling salts handy. <laughs> it is a bit blue. Um, NSFW, as I believe they say on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't make you sweat like cheese. Cause I'm the nigga, the nigga, nigga. Like how you figure, getting figures and fucking bitches. She rolling switches, bought her bitches. I bought my niggas, they getting bent up off the liquor. She love my licorice, I let her lick it. They say money make a nigga act nigga rich. But at least a nigga, nigga rich. I be fucking bras like I be fucking bald. Turn a dyke bitch out, have a fucking bars. Peace. I love bad bitches, that's my fucking problem. And yeah, I like the fuck, I got a fucking problem. I love bad bitches, that's my fucking problem. And yeah, I like the fuck, I got a fucking problem. I love bad bitches, that's my fucking problem. And yeah, I like the fuck, I got a fucking problem. That's Mr. ASAP Rocky there. Do you uh, need to lie down? Uh, no, no, no. I'm not, you know, hinge and bracket. I'm not like some sort of 80 year old man. I have heard rappers swear before. Yeah. I feel like your tolerance this year is way, way up. I, I think it's good. good. No, no. I just, I, I think it's very, I think we've established fairly thoroughly that Mr. ASAP Rocky likes fucking. Likes fucking bitches. They he definitely it. likes they fucking bitches. It. It's his favourite. Um, <laughs> it's his favourite. <laughs> I bet there's other stuff he likes more. <laughs> I bet he likes the Great British Bake Off or something like that. I bet, but you can't get that in a rhyme, can you? He did that track, Pussy Money Weed, earlier in the year. Yes. Is that his top three? Top three. <laughs> top three selected. Pussy Money Weed yeah. and the Great British Bake Off. Um, <laughs> that was your choice, Rebecca. Yes. Um, what, 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 what do you like about, about fucking... Pro- it's called, sorry, I should say it's called Fucking Problems. Fucking Problems by ASAP Rocky. What do you like about that? I like... Well, it has. it's four of the best MCs around at the moment. So Who Dr- else is on it? Drake is on it, 2 Chains is on it, ASAP Rocky, it's his track, and Kendrick Lamar is on it, and he's, he's my current favourite. I like Kendrick Lamar. Um, and it just makes me laugh. I mean, it is very kind of... There's a lot of posturing going on. They're all showing off a bit. <laughs> apart, from, apart from Drake, who I love it. Because this, I mean, this entire song is about how much they all like having sex with loads of women. Apart from Drake, who comes in and raps about finding someone real. <laughs> Drake Poor old is Drake. so emo. So wet, isn't he? Isn't he? Oh. he Even on this one, he can't quite <laughs> hide it. I just think it's very good. It's very funny. Um, yes, I like, actually, I, I, you know, I was, I was taking the taking the mick uh, but I do like it I do I think it's, it's a very uh, strong track ASAP Rocky does he have a chance the, the ASAP Rocky seems to me to be slightly of a piece in people's minds with Odd Future you know they were both sort of signed roughly at the same time there's a lot of money supposed to have been slopping about for both their deals Odd Future's album our survey said I'm afraid didn't it and the Creators album same well Tyler the Creators didn't just all right but that oh, the OF mixtape volume 2 or whatever didn't I mean that it was almost like it didn't come out mm. and then Frank Ocean's album came out and obviously everybody you know, was into that instead. But I think that ASAP is far, far more aligned with people like Danny Brown and T Chains and Kendrick. Actually, that I think that the sound is a lot, a lot different. To a lot more mainstream. Feature, I guess, a lot more mainstream. But it just has all those classic tropes of hip hop in a way that Odd Future was a little bit more left field. Mm. Um, and that's why I really like this because you know, Goldie, which was the big kind of hip hop club banger from ASAP, and then T Chains had you know, that birthday song track, which was the big one, and then Kendrick has swimming pools. And so all of them individually have released these big kind of club tracks that kind of work really well and are great to dance to. And I think that this is a really good collaboration at a good time of the year where they all come together and they're like, you know, regardless... In the Christmas spirit. In the Christmas spirit, exactly. (laughs) They they gather gather beneath the... uh, (laughs) Gather in front of a roaring fire with a couple of eggnog and discuss how much they like to fuck Like DMX doing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer the other day. (laughs) Which is great. Has he done that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amazing. This, you know, these boys coming together just talking about ladies. But Fucking I think bitches. that also it's good for someone like Kendrick because a lot's been said about how he's this, you know, laid back, conscious hip hopper, and it's quite nice to remember. Have that. they? You said that. Yeah. Someone hasn't heard his album. Lots of, lots of people have been writing about that because he's he's quite earnest. He's talking about the issues. 
in interviews. Yeah, it's also a lot of like, I'm going to like beat you up. And oh, stuff yeah, like and that. his dick being the size of the Eiffel Tower. That's right, stuff. yes, absolutely. But that yeah. makes that's me laugh, right. and that's what I think this does as well. It's kind of, it's quite funny. I mean, mm. yeah, that he's saying, funny. yeah, he, he, but he has a problem with it. He's admitting that he has a problem with it. He likes well, he's it a sex addict. Is he that what he's saying? He likes it too much. I think so, yeah. Well, there you go. It's a cautionary tale. Is this off his forthcoming album? Is this? It, it is in part. Well, I think so, but that's partly why I chose it because he's finally announced a release date and it's coming out mid January. Oh, an interesting time to release yes. a new album. Quite a dead time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is that long live ASAP? Yes. Well, there you go. Um, fucking Problems by ASAP Rocky. Um, should you wish to hear about ASAP Rocky's fucking problems? Um, it's doubtless all over the internet and the album is due in mid January. Yep. Wonderful. Wonderful. Let's move on to Karen's Choice. Scream featuring Khalees. Good to hear Khalees again. Been some time. I know. Didn't she make some terrible rave record at some point? That re- yeah. that was not terrible. That was a great record. Was that with David Guetta? Was he involved in that? Was he involved in it? Or was it just Rebecca one of the nine million it. people that I sound was like loving it. David Guetta? There's two. Acapella and Fourth of July, both from that album, were both fantastic songs. Okay. I prefer the Khalees of... Uh, Trick Me. Trick me. Um, I hate and, you so much um, right now. No, not so much the first album, actually. More um, uh, Khalees was here, which bombed, which I thought was a very good album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I like Milkshake and all, all that stuff. A friend of mine, uh, one's got a clout off his wife, because we were sat watching Top of the Pops around his house, and he had his son on his lap, and the video for Milkshake was on. And he said to his son, who's about four years old, and that, my boy, is a real lady. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, and his wife hit him. Um, anyway, uh, yes, Scream with Khalees goes to show, I suppose it goes to show two things. It goes to show slightly that Khalees' stock might have fallen a little bit, and, but how much someone like Scream's stock has risen that they're now working with. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, Absolutely. a dubstep producer, and not a dubstep producer of the wab-wab-wab-wab school of dubstep either, you yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's, that's what's interesting about this, is that we have kind of... A, we sort of identify both of them in quite specific ways. You know, this Khalees of the Trick Me milkshake, quite a glossy, you know, R&B pop mm. star. Um, and then Scream being very much kind of a, a forward Scream and Benga collective of, you know, heavy dubstep bass wobbles and that kind of thing. Um, and this is his project, his Screamism project, which is sort of trying to move away from that, you know, that completely pure dubstep thing. And there's... A little bit of, you know, this whole project is about moving into disco and house and a little bit of breakbeat and all these kind of things. And so this is this kind of production line, this sparse soundscapey type thing is indicative of his new direction. With some cats thrown in. Some cats thrown in, exactly. Alarming literal interpretation of the song. <laughs> it is on the internet, that. so it does need to feature some kind yeah. of cat. Um, yeah, and I just think <laughs> Khalees is great Nyan cat. <laughs> that would be amazing if it had Nyan cat on it instead. <laughs> He's doing all this sexy, oh, come and sit on my lap and have some cream, or whatever it is. And I'm just giving these ideas out yeah, there for what's nothing. What's sexier than you know? a meow, Alexis? But if, unless go. I'm really interpreting these lyrics incorrectly, 
it seems to me that she's singing this song to her stalker and inviting her stalker to come and sex her up a bit. That's a risky strategy. I mean, listen to it again. Really? <laughs> I don't know why you're pointing at me. I'm not pointing at you. I'm just, just going to start. It's, it's, it's the Agnesa <laughs> Falskog of ABBA strategy, which didn't do much good for her. No. Um, uh, well, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. Is it lyrically dubious? I, I don't know. I was so distracted by the appearance of the cat noise. <laughs> and then the lion. And the lion. Yeah. Well, there are all many different types yeah. of cat. Um, that the, I, I may have overlooked its 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 dark lyrical Go message. Go back and listen. And, and I'm, again, I may have been reading it wrong, but that's what it sounded like to me. He should have put, like I said, Nyan Cat on there, perk things up a bit. <laughs> there you go. Lift the mood. Um, tweet him. Tweet him. I will yeah. do. I am screaming. The the old, I am screaming. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just here to help these people. God, you know. Um, so this is part of an album of collaborations, is it? Yeah, or kind of a project or some kind of collective. Who body else has he work. worked with on it thus far? I don't know. You don't know. I only so care he's only just. He's only Kalees. really done this. Yeah. Right. Okay. But this was no. This is the best thing that he's done, and I'm more interested in the Khalees thing because actually, well, I, was I think you'll find in the history of doesn't it? Midnight request line isn't that the best thing that Scream's done? <laughs> no, Khalees. The Khalees is better, isn't she? Don't you think? Yeah. Kalees well, yeah. Well, no. It's, it's like comparing a comparing. <laughs> it's like comparing Nyan Cat <laughs> to Lol Cat. They're both. They're, they're both sort of the same, but they do really different things. You are so right. Oh, this you is earned review of the year. What made me, yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm Britain's top music journalist. Um, brilliant ideas like that. Now, um, so do you think this is a good thing for her to be doing? I think it shows her breadth. Because I, I think so. there's something actually what's good about Khalees' records. Um, was they actually managed to do that thing that a lot of R&B did at that time, not very that much R&B does now, which is balance being sort of massively commercially successful with being sort of really adventurous sounding pieces of music, mm-hmm. you know. And with the best will in the world making these rave tunes as she was doing before isn't isn't doing that but they're not generic rave tunes that i think that album really suited her and this is kind of more of that sort of thing and it suits really? her they suit each other i think it reminded it's really me a bit of the Solange ep actually when yeah. i was listening to it and and actually when i was looking back i forgot that she toured with people like Moby and Robin who were a little bit sort of interesting sounding mm. as well they're a bit left field yeah. and i thought actually that's a really good pairing and actually that does make sense that she would do something that sounds little bit I don't think she's playing commercial catch up really I think she just she just does what she wants or what she feels like okay that's fine that's fine that's I'll take your point I will you know I I take that on board um Scream featuring Khalees copycat around about now you don't know whether it's coming off an album or anything do you no no um we'll leave (laughs) figure that one out for yourselves (laughs) listeners We're, we're here to keep you on your toes um right let's move on some hot dubstep my choice That's Long Hair by The Drowners. That's coming out in uh, January on um, Nick from the Kaiser Chiefs label now. Or Nick X of the Kaiser Chiefs, because you left the Kaiser Chiefs yesterday. And that's how I found this track. Um, he announced on Twitter he was leaving the Kaiser Chiefs. He sort of, I, I kind of clicked on his Twitter thing, and it mentioned this record label that he's starting. And uh, this is the first thing coming out on it. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that's like. And uh, I played it, and I really liked it. It's got, it's got, I mean, you know, 
let's be brutally honest here, it's it's not reinventing the wheel, this record. Um, but it's got a kind of thing. It's got a bit of sort of insouciant New York cool about it. The video has a lot of insouciant New York cool about it until the unexpected appearance about a minute in of, of Fred from Spectre. Yeah. Um, I was like, what, what, what's he doing on this? You know. It's a bit of a... See, I watched the video and thought, oh, there's Harmon Superstar. There's Fred from Spectre. Yeah. There's Dev. Yeah. There's Alexa Chung. Yeah. It's like someone's just done a little little New York kind of yeah, yeah yeah and relocate them to the Lower East Side or wherever or yeah. Williamsburg or wherever it was filmed um, I think it's a good song I think it's um, I think the lyrics are interesting um, I think it has a good tune I think he's got a good voice I um, I like it sometimes you just want something that's not hugely demanding I am the man who brought Throbbing Gristle into this programme last week and then played that, you know. I did just give the Scott Walker album four out of five, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I just thought, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, Song of Tunes, amazing. Well, their name, so their name is The Drowners. The name is The Drowners. Which and the makes song is of, called Long Hair. Yeah. Take that in isolation, mm-hmm. and it sounds like some sort of Smack the Pony spoof indie band from, well, the, from the late 90s. The Drowners is obviously... Suede. Suede. Yeah. Um, long hair. There's a bit of, I think there's a sort of suede influence as far as the degree of sexual confusion in the lyrics and blah, blah. He appears to be singing from the point of view. He's singing about boys. I think he's overhearing girls talking about. If you want a close lyrical analysis of well, anything that's happening this week. Excellent. Do listen to the words. Yeah, practical criticism. Yeah. very good. Um, I enjoyed it, you know. I didn't expect to. It's got a little that, thing. But it's got something. It sounds like the Lemonheads. It sounds like yeah. uh, my so-called life sort of band that Angela <laughs> and Ryan go and see and, you know, drink totally an illicit does. beer to. And, yeah, I really like it. Um, yeah, I, I think it I think it might even potentially be... Uh, won't it be a hit? Does anybody like music like this anymore? I don't think they do, do they? No. Kieran, did you like it? No. I Because <laughs> well, it's weird that you kind of talk about it, um, you know, being this sort of, you know, nonchalant cool thing. Because mm. I was listening to it while I wasn't watching the video, when I was just, you know, washing up. And I listened to it, I thought, God, it sounds so sort of cheesy, schools out for summer kind of thing. Interesting. I thought it sounded really kind of almost like Molly Ringwaldy, that kind of, you know, the end of the... And I was like, oh, a bit cheesy, a bit shit. And then I watched the video after, and I was like, oh, it's cool. Oh, it's supposed to be cool. <laughs> but I was like, oh, is this, is this what's cool? I just, yeah, I just found it a little bit weird. But I think that could also be because I'd heard it after listening to ASAP and it's a completely different male experience. Isn't it's it? a very, very different mood experience. Um, I think we should uh, bear in mind that Nick from the Kai's Chiefs can pick the hits. He is the man who uh, brought to prominence uh, the pigeon detectives, <laughs> for which we're all obviously enormously grateful. But let's not hold that against him and his new venture, which frankly, I think if he keeps churning up things like this in the indie vein, um, might do quite well. Uh, Long Hair by the Drowners, uh, the video is on uh, on uh, up on the internet, on YouTube already. Uh, the song is out uh, mid-January, I believe. And that is Singles Club. Twenty-five years ago, Danny Rampling's legendary acid house club Shoom changed both the face of London and arguably the face of British pop music. In celebration this weekend, he's hosting the first Shum club night since 1990. I met him, asked him about Shum's history, but first of all asked him, why now? I 
I've never wanted to revive uh, Shin, but I just got this calling and this urge to do it about a year ago. And then everything just uh, seemed to happen naturally. Various introductions and then everything snowballed from there. So I've been working on this event for a year now. And now it's only about three days away. My God, the anticipation is like <laughs> rising and the you know, excited anticipation. So, you know, I think, you know, in terms of the whole scene itself, you know, it was about the spirit of the club. And that's why it made such an impact and such a profound positive impact on people's lives, which um, clearly is, you know, is still recognised today because it's been an overwhelming response. It's a reflection of the, uh, you know, kind of the times that we lived through then back in 87 we're not too dissimilar to now, particularly with the economic climate. And I think, you know, people like to feel good about times when they were fe- feeling good. And that was really a time that people were feeling that way. Definitely so. Um, you talk about the spirit of Shum. We'll go on to the music in a moment. What, what, how would you define that? What was the spirit of Shum? Well, the spirit of Shum, it was, it was quite a DIY collective, really. And what it did, it, it brought so many different groups of people together that would not necessarily have had that opportunity to do so. So the whole feeling of the, of the club itself and the ethos behind it, it broke down um, the taboos of race, culture, class, sexual orientation. And that was quite unique at the time. And that really uh, did affect a lot of people that came along to the night. And it attracted all walks of life. It was about, it was about unity, love, and, and doing it yourself, basically. And that really did uh, uh, flourish in a big way. And before we knew it, uh, there was a queue of hundreds and hundreds of people down the street. And what, that, uh, what, what followed that was the rave scene. Shum was actually a blueprint for the rave scene. It definitely had this kind of inspirational, almost punk-like, you know what I mean? Well, very much so. You know, punk was all about dropping out and anarchy, whereas um, Shum and the scene itself was about inclusion Mm. and uh, positivity. And, of course, those two scenes, I think, were, were very not too dissimilar in a way. It's just that one was, you know drop out and well, still do your own thing, create sure. a band and create a label or a fanzine. Very similar spirit to both scenes. Somebody said that it was like a chemistry session and they said that actually all the elements were already there. You could, you could find house music in London. That's you know, right, yeah. Said that apparently, um, well, I think it was someone said, told me that Frankie Knuckles did a residency at a gay club in 1986 in London. You know, it was in the, heaven. In heaven. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was about, and there were clubs where people took ecstasy. There were clubs where, you know, there were sort of, Smoke and strobe, and he said, but not those three things together. He said it was something. He said what Shum did was kind of put these different elements together, and suddenly, bang! Absolutely, it solidified that. Um, of course, the gay scene was playing house music long before we embraced it, and high energy music, high energy house was a continuation of high energy music. So the gay scene had it. Pyramid and Jungle were clubs that we used to frequent. And um, that's where we really marketed Shum to as well with flyers. You know, we used to walk the streets of London, go to the art colleges, go to certain nights. But they were uh, also pivotal nights in terms of uh, going along and being inspired by DJs like Mark Moore, uh, who later went on to produce the number one hit, uh, S-Express. And he used to play at Pyramid, which was at Heaven on Wednesday nights. And Colin Favour used to play at Jungle, which was at Busby's on Monday nights. Two renowned, fantastic DJs who greatly inspired me and also came along to Shum and played at many of the nights. You weren't really known as a DJ before Shum, were you? No, I wasn't. No, I was struggling to break through as a DJ for many years. 
and uh, the whole landscape of the club scene in London was very, very different. Um, there wasn't the abundance of clubs that we have today and the infrastructure that's in place. Again, it was a, a very uh, makeshift thing. You know, the warehouse, warehouse parties like Jonathan Moore's Meltdown, who later went on to become Cold Cut, Phil Dirtbox's Dirtbox, um, Nicky Holloway's Weekend. There's a, you know, there was a, you know, a handful, a Shake and Finger Pop, Norman Jay. There was a handful of parties. So the scene was quite... Uh, tight knit. Although I was a DJ on pirate radio, but I was playing independent soul music and funk and hip hop, uh, a graveyard shift at uh, two till four in the morning on a Tuesday night. But hey, I'd got a foot in the door, but it took me years to actually uh, get my break. And my break came through creating my own club, which was Shume, and having the music to back that up. I knew at some point there was going to be a time where I would have a responsive audience that was appreciative of the music, and I'd have a platform to do that. I just didn't know when, how, and where and funnily enough it was the fitness centre where I played uh, four or five years before at an engagement party <laughs> with a real mixture of people but I knew it was going to happen at some point and thank god house music came along I mean, apparently, I was, again, I heard that, that, that while the main room was kind of playing house and stuff like that, upstairs you had Terry Farley, who told me that um, basically what he used to play was any soul record he could find that sounded like it might be about ecstasy. <laughs> so he'd play it's ecstasy when you lay down next to me for Barry White, and I get, I get the sweetest feeling by Jackie. He said, people can't think, I never knew that Jackie Wilson tune was about E. Um, and he said, and Andy Weatherall, who he, I said, well, what did he play? He was like, well, you know, throbbing gristle records well, and stuff exactly, like that. Yeah, the upstairs in Shim was an alternative room, so they had a freestyle to play what they wanted and that's really where where Andrew uh, really did become a you know a professional DJ himself also it did a lot for his profile uh, yeah, I, I first heard Andrew playing at a party in Chapel Street Market in Islington on a Monday morning in, in the height of summer with the market being set up and there's like about 200 people dancing on the roof and in the street and wow. weather all playing inside and I said who who's this DJ you know got to you know, I, you know I was just immediately inspired by his music because he was playing such a different sound, you know, things like Problem Gristle and Chris and Cozy and all those, all those other bands and Andrew is one, I think, you know is one of the greatest Maverick DJs that Britain has ever produced Absolutely. and he has an exceptional taste in music and, uh, you know I, I think many people do compare him to uh, a modern day John Peel mm. Absolutely, no, I think it's a very, very opposite comparison So, describe, for the benefit of, of those listeners, almost all of them I'd imagine who weren't actually there, describe what Shun was like, describe what the room was like describe what it was like um, walking in there <laughs> Well, it became quite a cult thing because, you know, people would build themselves up to this Saturday night party for, you know, the whole week and then particularly on Saturday. So it held 300 people. It was in a gym. Uh, it was a gymnasium during the week. So um, you'd go down the st- you know, a small entrance, you'd go down uh, the flight of stairs and then to the left there was a bar that only sold Lucasade because that's all what people wanted to drink. Alcohol had gone completely out of fashion and it was so hot in there. It was such a sweat box. It was an inferno. To the right there was a, a a corridor of about uh, uh, probably about 20, 25 feet uh, and that was about 6 feet wide and then it would go down some steps into the gymnasium area one wall would be uh, a whole mirrored wall that people often used to walk into because I used to constantly have my hand on the smoke machine and there'd be all this strawberry smoke bellowing out and strobe lights constantly so the intensity of the room and the energy of the music and the spirit of the people combined it was that that was something quite unique 
unique. And many people would go into a trance state there. And into you know, and that's you know, that takes us back, you know, centuries to our you know, our ancestors of the beat of the drum and fire and you know, dancing at night. And that's exactly what was being uh, uh, lived out in that in that basement. And the spirit that was in the, in that room was absolutely marvelous. And I've never experienced anything like that before, uh, Shum, and I haven't experienced it to uh, to that degree after 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 we closed Shum. Shum closed in 1990. Yeah, just on the uh, I think it was just around the time of 1990. That's right. Yeah. Um, what do you think its lasting legacy is? What's its lasting legacy? Um, the fact that we uh, opened a gateway that completely transformed the British music industry, <laughs> particularly. You know, this is with, no time for false modesty, Dan. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, n- not alone, but as Absolutely. a collective, with all of the clubs themselves. But you know, five or six uh, clubs uh, at the forefront of that movement, and the producers and artists that came through. The record industry boomed in Britain as a result of the scene that was created, like it did in the '60s. You know, with the movement with the Rolling Stones and the Who and the Beatles and those bands it again it was you know, at the sequence of events i'm sure it was very much like that in the 60s ladies and gentlemen again we repeat tico Ariola has been struck with the pelota we'll have a full report in just a moment please remain in your seats please remain in your seats please remain in your seats a lot to live up to are you nervous about this weekend <laughs> I'm absolutely pricking myself <laughs> I think you know this has been the biggest event of my life and it um, I've pr- promoted and produced a lot of events but this really I think is the zenith of all of them uh, cable in SE1 holds 1400 people and the work that's going into this is round the clock but it, it, it takes me back to the beginning of my career and I had the same feeling now that I had when things broke through for me I sense that something major is happening again, just as it was back then, and that's how I'm feeling right at this point. But it's going to be a great night, and we've put a lot of effort into this. So, so the spirit—we're uh, uh, not trying to relive the spirit or make a reunion of it. It's it's capturing some of that essence and the spirit of it, because there'll be a lot of new clubbers that weren't around at that time that will come along, and they want to experience some of it. And and hopefully we give them a certain part of that spirit for them to take away and say, wow. Wow, you know, that was that was a brilliant night out. Danny, that's brilliant. Thanks ever so much, mate. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> that's Alexis talking to Danny Rampling. Right, that just about wraps it up for this week's show. Our thanks to Rebecca Nicholson for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Hope to see you soon. I'll see you next week, Kieran. Yep. If you've got any comments, uh, want to make your voice heard, uh, leave them at guardian.co.uk forward slash musicweekly. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Don't forget to sign up for free to the Guardian's Global Development Professionals Network and you could be in with the chance of winning an iPad. Find out more now at guardian.co.uk slash win the iPad.